Welcome to episode six of the Agree to Disagree podcast with Phil and Ethan, a weekly podcast on News Center, Maine, from now through Election Day. Woo. Phil, how was your week? Oh, wow. I mean, I, it can't get any better than this. It's summer in Maine. It's stifling hot. I'm out on the water doing some fishing, watching the political waters and trends uh, shift and shake. And we've got all kinds of news that will uh, entertain people for the next week. We've got, uh, well, where do you are want the, to start? Are the, are, are the fish, wait a minute, are, are, are the fish, are they going, are they going to the left or are they going to the right? Are you getting some indicators out there about whether or not the political political tide is uh, going my way or your way? Uh, actually, I think they're swimming in circles these days. <laughs> fair enough, brother. Fair enough. All right. Well, this week we do. We got a ton of stuff going on. We're going to talk about the vice presidential pick, of course, right off the top. Kamala Harris, the NRA, Attorney General of New York, trying to shut them down. Trump's executive orders, the endorsement wars between Collins and Gideon. Um Right now, we're looking at uh, over 90,000 uh, voter advantage to Democrats in the state of Maine. We got the Democratic Convention coming up. We got so much to get to, I can't even stand it. Well, I assume we're also going to play a little love it, hate it, or wake me up when it's over. And uh, by the way, Schoolsy, our producer, tells us how you did on the hot seat for last week's Nailed It or Failed It. I got a bad feeling about that one uh, right off the bat. But uh, also, Phil, we have a special guest who's going to join us on the hot seat this week. And uh, that should be a lot of fun. Somebody uh, very familiar to a lot of folks who uh, tune into News Center. So, yeah, I'm all right. Forward to it. All right, Schoolsy, start us off, buddy. As Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly open the debate. <laughs> all right. Bill, the long-awaited vice presidential pick is in. As we know, it is Kamala Harris, the former attorney general of California, current U.S. senator, one-time presidential rival of Joe himself. First African-American woman ever selected as a vice presidential running make for one of the major parties in the United States history. Are you feeling the race is now over and Trump should just turn over the keys to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I, I know that's what you would uh, like just for Trump to say, OK, uh, I, I'm done. Here are the keys. Bye bye. But that's why we put election uh, day on the calendar so that we actually have to go out and determine who we want to be our agent of government. I think what's important to remember is that the government doesn't uh, tell us what to do. They are our representatives. They're our agents of government. We send them there to protect our rights and our freedoms and our state right responsibilities. So, uh, yeah, I think we should still go forward with an election. And look, this this nomination was uh, narrowed from the beginning. When, when the candidate says you have to be a female and you have to be of color before you can apply for the job, it pretty much narrows it down to a very select few. So I'm not surprised at who she uh, who he chose as his running mate. But what I am going to be interested to see, Ethan, is how she walks back, reintroduces and explains away her significant policy differences with Joe Biden uh, over the years. And finally, as you, I hope, would agree, her presidential campaign uh, lacked enthusiasm. I think she got 2% of the Democrat delegates. 
uh, you know, listen, I, I don't have any problem with Joe saying I'm going to take a woman. I'm going to take a woman of color. Uh, you know, for the first 200 years, it was only men and only white men that were allowed to apply for the job. So to finally open that up a little bit and say, hey, you know what? I think we might be able to bring somebody in who's just as qualified as those uh, first 45 vice presidents, uh, but who is of a different gender. I think that was a great move. I think Kamala's strong choice. Uh, look, Joe Biden right now has an eight point lead. Uh, he basically needs to make sure that he maintains that. Kamala is somebody well-liked by the people who are supporting him, well-liked by moderates, well-liked by Democrats, well-liked by women, well-liked by people of color. This is the kind of pick where I think you solidify the strength that you already have. She's also clearly ready for the job. She's got uh, her foreign policy experience in the U.S. Senate. She was attorney general at the state level, so she really understands the workings of state government. Obviously, uh, police issues, race issues are huge in America right now. She gets these front and center. So I think this was a slam dunk. I give him an A on this pick. Uh, unlike Hillary Clinton four years ago with Tim Kaine, a pick that I thought was boring and blasé, didn't give her anything. This one, I think, really does solidify it. I, You know, I have to agree with you. If you're a, a, a progressive Democrat, you just solidified the bases you just described, but you're not going to win the election on just getting the base to vote for you. You need to appeal to uh, more conservative Democrats, independents, and the more they learn about Kamala Harris's belief that whether you're here legally or not, the taxpayers should fund your education and your health care, uh, that borders really don't matter, the Green New Deal, she's behind it. And as more and more people realize what that quote unquote experience means and what they'll do with that experience, I think you're going to find this race is going to tighten up. Yeah, I don't look the, the policies of the vice president rarely come into play unless there's a big faux pas or something like that. But her policies are well within the mainstream. She is center left. She is right where Joe Biden is a moderate within the Democratic Party. He's very popular. Like I said, he's got an eight point lead now. I think that lead is actually going to expand in the coming uh, in the coming days in the coming week with the Democratic Convention. I think this kind of I, I don't think she's going to be a drag at all in the way you know, perhaps Sarah Palin was, or even Dan Quayle was back in the re-election in 92. Well, I, when, when, when Bernie Sanders looks to the left, he sees Joe Biden off in the distance. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> no, when Bernie Sanders looks to the right, he sees Joe Biden, not to the left, buddy, come on. Go the ahead. New York Attorney General has charged the National Rifle Association with corruption and mismanagement of millions of dollars. In what was a very broad indictment, it is clear that the New York Attorney General is looking to bring down the organization. While this court case will likely take years, if the NRA is neutralized, what impact do you think it will have on Maine politics? They have long been players in both elections and the state house policymaking here in Maine. Yeah, look, I think this is going to have a very big deal. And, you know, look, I, I, corruption is bad no matter where it is, whether it's coming from the right or from the left. Wayne LaPierre, clearly from uh, these documents, it looks like obviously has to go to a court of law, but has been uh, just laundering money for personal uses, you know, private flights to the Bahamas, cruises on some yacht called Illusions, a $12,000 stay for his niece at... Uh, 
at four seasons. I mean, this is just uh, completely outrageous, and he should be brought down, and the organization for its mismanagement, that board of directors is allowing it to happen. Sometimes the organization's just got to go, and a new one's got to come, but I, I won't cry a tear. The NRA, in my, from my perspective, the NRA, from my perspective, has done more damage to us being able to pass reasonable gun laws that could protect children and families in this country. So if the NRA disappears, uh, I won't shed a single tear. So let's let's reset this conversation. We have uh, rights in our Constitution to bear arms, and I know that creates an endless debate. It's sort of like pro-life and pro-choice, but the fact is, it's in our constitution. The NRA has been around for over a hundred years. If there has been mismanagement or worse embezzlement or uh, you know, misappropriations of funds, that's, that's a legal matter regarding an individual. It's not the reason why a, a government official should use her power to prosecute an organization with the express intent of putting them out of business and thus denying our constitutional rights. Well, but uh, there's corruption going on in the organization. And if there's corruption in the organization, then the attorney general has to step in and prosecute that. And you can't say that the organization itself doesn't share some blame. The board of directors has oversight. But again, the bottom line is the NRA has been such a destructive force towards trying to create better public safety in the United States. And now it turns out that they were corrupt from within. I think the attorney general is completely within her rights to go after the organization. I hope she wins the case. I hope the NRA goes away forever. So that is a matter for the courts to decide whether the leader of the organization misused funds that, by the way, come from members who pay dues. And that's the point. All of these, you know, derogatory things you say about the organization, it's funded with private voluntary dollars from American citizens who want their constitutional rights represented in the state house and in the federal government. Corruption is corruption, whether it's coming from private money or whether it's coming from public money. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. All right. Topic three, Sarah Gideon's campaign rolled out yet another endorsement from a group that had previously endorsed Susan Collins. This one from the machinists, the list of converts from Collins to Gideon now includes a number of local labor unions, the League of Conservation Voters, Planned Parenthood, and the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. Phil, why have all these groups abandoned Susan Collins? Has she changed or have they changed? Oh, I think they, they have seen uh, this opportunity to use Sarah Gideon as the transition to the future. They sense, as you do, this monumental blue wave and they want to be on that on that uh, bandwagon it's unfortunate but as you know from our time serving as state senators these very same organizations typically behind the scenes lace up their resources together to make sure that the progressive agenda continues to inch or gallop ahead forward regardless of who's in office this doesn't surprise me at all well, one of the things that I think it exposes is that some of these groups, you know, were probably supporting Susan Collins in the past because um, she, you know, was so strong in the polls, but they knew deep down in their soul that if uh, there was a challenger who actually had a chance to beat them, they would be able to, they would not endorse and they would go with the challenger because look, Susan Collins, uh, 
uh, for a long time has not been good on these issues. It, it, it is something where she pretends like she's going to be good. You, you can't say you're pro-choice and then put Brent, Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. You can't say you're for working people and then cut taxes for the wealthiest in this country. You know, just time and again, she has walked away from that moderate stance she tries to portray and it's finally been exposed. And these groups are now coming forward and you're saying, you know what, we're just not gonna stand for it anymore. You, you either are for the environment or you aren't for the environment. And Susan Collins, you are not for the environment. You're either for LGBTQ rights or you aren't, or you are for working people or you aren't. And she has proven that she just simply is not. You, 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 you clearly demonstrated what I was just trying to, to say. These groups uh, in the past, uh, you know, quasi endorsed Susan Collins because she was clear to likely to win and they didn't want to lose uh, favor with her. God help them if Susan Collins pulls this off, they are clearly going to be on the opposite side of the reputation that these organizations have tried to develop over the years as being bipartisan. They are now going to be exposed for the partisan groups that they are. And once again, I will say Susan Collins has stayed true to her representation of Maine. She's the reason why, for example, the machinists at Bath Ironworks have work is because her ability to make sure that that shipyard gets its share of work. They've put themselves in a very difficult position when Susan Collins wins. Uh, look, you know, these groups would not be endorsing Sarah Gideon if the, the if Sarah Gideon wasn't uh, somebody who truly represented their values and if Susan Collins, because this is still going to be a tough race. It's not a slam dunk for Sarah Gideon, even though she's up in all of the polls. This is going to be a tough race. And these groups see two individuals who are running for U.S. Senate. And clearly, Sarah Gideon is better on workers issues, environmental issues, LGBTQ issues, labor issues, on and on, Social Security, Medicare. That's why they've made this decision. All right, buddy. We are into love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. Are you awake? You ready? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm right. suited up. You know how this goes. You're just going to throw something out at you. You give me uh, whether you love it, you hate it, or whether you want to go take a nap. All, All right. right. It tur turns out one of the lead lobbyists who secured a loophole in the PPP program for his hotel chains was a former longtime aide to Susan Collins, the author of said amendment. Some are crying foul. Let's say you, Phil, love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. Uh, I think you can wake me when it's over. There is uh, numerous examples of people who used to work uh, inside the Beltway who are now on the advocacy, lobbyist, whatever you want to call it, side of the legislative and regulatory process. I don't think um, this is going to amount to any defining moment in the campaign. It happens all the time on both sides of the aisle. Wake me up when it's over. Okay. President Trump has signed an executive order delaying the payment of payroll taxes for hundreds of thousands of Maine families, increasing people's paychecks by over 8% for the next four months. Strim, love this, hate this, or shall I wake you up when it's over? And I wish you could wake me up when it's over, but I hate it. Look, I hate it for a lot of reasons. One, not even sure it's constitutional, of course. But number two, the big issue here is that uh, all you're doing is delaying something for people who are already employed, and it may actually mean that they end up paying more taxes because their income would then go up 
next year and they'd have to be paying in a different income bracket. So this is bad for working people. But the worst part about it is it does nothing for the unemployed, of which, of course, we have 40 million, 80,000 in Maine. So I'm hating this. Senator, former Republican Governor John Kasich is slated to speak at the Democratic Convention in support of Joe Biden for president. Oh, baby, you know I love this. How about you, buddy? You loving it? You hating it? Or wake me up when it's over? Uh, wake wake me up when it's over. You know, his his uh, track record as the governor of Ohio and before that as a congressman was pretty consistent, relatively conservative on fish fiscal issues and regulatory issues. Uh, I think he was, a, at least from my perspective, a mainstream Republican. His presidential campaign uh, went nowhere. Uh, the, the aftermath of his public uh, persona has gone in the opposite direction. And now I think he's coming across as, uh, you know, a, a bitter curmudgeon. And this opportunity to speak before the Democrat Party is his opportunity to sort of be center of attention all over again. I hate it. Right. Mr. Mayor, yeah, the homeless encampment in Portland at City Hall has been disbanded without their demands being met by the city council or mayor. Tell us, do you love it, hate it, or wake you up when it's over? Yeah, I hate this. I mean, uh, you know, look, it, it was becoming problematic down there. They had no bathroom. City Hall was not letting them use the bathrooms. They weren't giving them masks. It was becoming somewhat unsanitary. Uh, but this is really the life that a lot of folks who are on the street are living every day. And I'm glad that the city of Portland, the city of Portland, uh, really got to see it. And it was front and center for a couple of weeks, but so disappointing at how City Hall treated them and that City Hall so far has done nothing in response to the housing crisis. Just really, uh, really disappointing. So I am, uh, I'm hating that for sure. Last but not least, Phil, Democrats now outnumber Republicans by 90,000 registered voters in Maine. 90,000. How does that compare to when you were a kid, my friend? That, uh, well, that was a long time ago. But anyway, 90,000 and over 40,000 new voters since the 2016 presidential race. Phil, do I even need to ask whether you love this, whether you hate this, or whether you want to be woken up when it's over? Well, I love your uh, ability to use these statistics and jump right to the fact that we probably don't need to go through the election and just uh, let Joe raise his right hand so Camilla can be president, I mean, so Joe can be president. Uh, I, wake me up when it's over, and here's why. A lot of these uh, new registered Democrats have come about because of the primary races, and as we both know, those caucus systems and candidates uh, attract people. They get uh, people registered to vote, and I, I, I get that. But here's the rest of the story. There are also more Republicans registered than ever before, and that's without any primary contest because Trump was the presumptive nominee. It'll be interesting to see what happens after Labor Day and before Election Day of how many people choose to affiliate with a party or unaffiliate with a party and roll as independents. You're doing a lot. You're doing a lot of wake me when it's over on that one. Are you like hoping this election just goes by the wayside or something, buddy? No, I, I, you know, it's not, there's no reason to get excited at this point. I, I see why you are, but in the yeah. scheme of things, wake me up when we get there. 
Okay, Strum, last week we put you on the hot seat for our segment called Nailed It or Failed It. This week our producer, Schoolsy, tells us how Ethan did. Oh, boy, I am not looking forward to this, buddy. <laughs> okay, here are the questions from last week. And just to be clear, Schoolsy is being 100% literal in his assessment. He's not going to give me a little bend? Like a little no. kind of actual maybe? No, okay. no, no, you're a liberal enough. You don't need any more. Okay, number one, yes or no. In the next week, will Joe Biden pick Camilla Harris as his vice presidential nominee? Strim said, no. Failed Jeff, did he? Failed it. Yes or no. In the next week, will the union at BIW reach an agreement with management? The mayor said, yes. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Number three, yes or no, in the next week, will Congress pass a new stimulus package that Trump will sign? The mayor said yes. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Failed it. Uh, yes or no, in the next week, will the U.S. pass the 165,000th COVID-related deaths? The mayor said yes. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Five, yes or no, in the next week, allow Massachusetts or Rhode Island residents to start entering Maine freely. The mayor said no. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Nailed it. Finally, number six, yes or no, one week from now, will at least three Major League Baseball teams be quarantined and not playing baseball? The mayor said yes. Jeff, did he nail it or fail it? Failed it. <laughs> oh, I wish so on that last one, I, you know, I wish my Mets had been quarantined. I said that because they haven't been winning much. But anyway. Here's the deal. You had three right and three wrong. And that leaves us so far with me one up on you for the season. I got plenty of time to come back, buddy. Plenty of time yes. to come back. You do. All right, this week we have a special guest, first time ever for uh, this week's Hot Seat. Someone very familiar to many viewers of New Center, Maine, and in particular to 207, the one, the only, Rob Caldwell. Rob, welcome to Nailed It or Failed It. Uh, I'm a little intimidated, but thank you. Delighted to be here. <laughs> you a little well, hot today? It's a little warm out there. Uh, yeah, it is. It is absolutely toasty out here, and uh, just... Before we get into this, I just want you to know that I bring to this nothing. So <laughs> you're going to remember Dave the Guesser at Old Orchard Beach. Yes. He was at Palace yeah. Playland, and he was yeah. a guy who he, he was there for years and years. And here, this was his shtick. You gave him, I don't know, 50 cents or a buck or something, and he would guess your weight or your age, and you had to be within you know five pounds of your weight, three, three years of your age or something. And if he got it right, then he kept the buck. And if you got, if he were wrong, if he were wrong, he gave you a plastic comb that was worth about seven cents. So it was a pretty good racket. And I just want you to know that I bring the same kind of rigorous scientific background and expertise to this endeavor. Well, let's let's take this opportunity before we put you on the hot seat to put you in the audience in the, in the know about Rob Caldwell. He has an annual trek that he loves to take each year 
share with the viewers of the political brew what that is. Well, I actually, I haven't done it for a couple of years just because of the way things have worked out. But what I have had done for many years is I would ride my motorcycle from coast to coast. And I've ridden coast to coast across the USA 13 times on a motorcycle. What I've traditionally done is in the fall, I ride out to California. I've got a real good friend out there who meets me partway. We ride together. I leave my motorcycle with him, fly home to Maine. And then in the spring, I would fly back out to California and then ride all the way back to the East Coast. Wow. That's now, impressive. That's you a know, fun fact for the viewers of New Center, Maine right there. You don't need a lot of smarts to do that. You just need an iron butt. You know, I do have a, uh, I do have a scooter, a Vespa. It's got it's about a 150. Do you think I could keep up with you? Actually, I don't, I don't know if you could keep up, but you can do it. I've, I've heard stories of people who do it on those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah. There'd, be a, there'd be a book or a documentary or something in that. Even. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, me trailing behind you. I don't think I'm going to get that done. All right, let's get to the hot seat. Are you ready to uh, dive in? We're going to give you six away. questions. Your job is to give us an agree or disagree with the statement and just a brief explanation as to why. And then uh, next week, we're going to mark you down on how you did and whether you got to give us a little orange cone or uh, <laughs> whether you get to keep your buck. Okay. All right. First and foremost. Agree to disagree. In the next week, Joe Biden will see a 2% bump at least in his average poll numbers over President Trump after announcing his VP pick. You know, Richard Nixon used to say, a vice presidential candidate can't help you. A candidate can only hurt you. So this is a tough one, but I actually agree. I think that that will happen. I think 2% is reasonable. So I agree. Rob, in 2016, Donald Trump was famously silent on Twitter about Michelle Obama's Democratic Convention speech. Agree or disagree? President Trump will once again resist tweeting about the former First Lady during the 2020 Democrat Convention coming up. That's an interesting question. You know, I think as a rule, to bet against Donald Trump tweeting is not the way to go. So I'm going to disagree with your statement. I believe that he will tweet about Michelle Obama. All right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Staying on the same subject, agree to disagree. Governor Andrew Cuomo is going to give the opening night address, uh, and he will mention Trump's name at least a dozen times. Agree or disagree? I tell you, there are going to be about 147 references to Trump. Whether the name actually gets mentioned, I don't know. Um, I'm going to agree with that, but I want to know which one of you guys will be at home with a, a pencil and paper taking note of how many times the name gets mentioned. Good. That'll give you something to do. I will, for sure. No doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Well, we have now a question that's been on the hot seat three weeks in a row. Agree or disagree, in the next week, Congress will pass an economic stimulus package. (laughs) This is sort of like, you know, betting against Donald Trump and his tweeting, not the way to go. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to presume that uh, Congress will continue to be... uh, inert on this particular matter. So I guess I am uh, agreeing with your statement, I believe, Phil. Is that correct? I do not believe Congress is going to act in the next week. Yes. 
That's probably a safe bet, brother. Yep. I think I've gotten this one wrong a few weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, all right. Agree or disagree. In the next week, Janet Mills will call the legislature into session over the objection of Republicans. I disagree. Uh, I think that that may well happen at some time in the week's ahead, but I don't think it's going to happen in the next seven days. It's August. People are on vacation. Uh, there may be stuff that urgently needs to be done, but I don't think it's going to get done in the next seven days. And finally, Rob, agree or disagree with Congress out of session, Senator Angus King will be photographed somewhere in Maine riding his motorcycle. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Agree, agree, agree. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe he'll be riding his motorcycle with you somewhere. So uh, I've never ridden with him. I've seen the pictures of how he goes out with, uh, you know, Supreme Court justices and friends and people in government. I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, motorcycling is, is, is a lot of fun. It's a great way to talk to people and meet people. And, uh, you know, if we had more people out on motorcycles, we would probably have less division in this country. Mm -hmm. And always wear your helmet, right? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Uh, anything, uh, anything you want to add about two hundred seven or anything this week? Uh, yeah. What are you working on that hasn't been aired yet, Rob? <laughs> I am. Uh, I've got a couple of stories that are coming along. One about uh, a couple who have uh, owned and operated one of the vessels in the main windjammer fleet for more than twenty years, oh, and wow. this was going to be their final season. They've raised their kids on that boat. They've been out on that boat every summer and fall for most of their adult lives. This was going to be their last year. And they had the, the boat was fully booked. And almost everyone who was coming back was a returning guest who had been on a previous sale. And of course, it all fell through. And it's kind of a bittersweet story. So that's one. Uh, I'm not sure when that'll be coming up. That actually might be a week and a half or so away. But that's just one in the pipeline. Thank you for asking, though. You're welcome. Thanks Great. for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Thanks, guys. Man. Have fun and uh, let me know. We will for sure. <laughs> we will for Dave sure. The guest has nothing to fear. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The clock has run out. The buzzer is sounding. Okay, Phil, as we do each week in honor of Maine's bicentennial year, we are going to ask a Maine political trivia question. Here is last week's question. Who was the uh, first woman to serve in the Maine legislature and the first African-American to serve in the Maine legislature? Those are great questions. The answers are the first African-American was, of course, the Honorable Jerry Talbot. He was elected in Portland, from Portland, in 1992. 72. So, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. 1972. And he served until 1978. He sponsored the first bill ever uh, submitted to the legislature to ban discrimination against the LGBT community. He passed a law banning the official use of the N-word in naming over a dozen places in Maine. And the first woman, Jerry Talbot, of course, you know him, I know him, what a remarkable guy. We're actually gonna name one of our schools after him down here in Portland, something uh, I was proud to help shepherd through uh, City Hall when I was there, one of our elementary schools uh, from way back when. So I'm sure you know Jerry pretty well as well. Yep. Uh, the first woman was a woman named Dora Pinkham, Republican from New Limerick. She was elected in 1922, even before you served there in the main house. 
But get this. I couldn't believe this when I read it. She sponsored six bills and got five passed in her first term. I tell you what, it's hard for a rookie to get anything passed, let alone get five out of six. Well, that's what happens when you have a Republican woman in the legislature. Yeah. Uh, by the way, do you even know where a new limerick is? Uh, is that north of Portland or? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. Do you ever go somewhere where there isn't something besides concrete or asphalt under your shoes? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. If I don't have a fire engine going by every, like, 15 or 20 minutes, I don't even feel like I'm alive, buddy. All right. This week, we got this week's questions. I'm moving from the Blaine House to the legislature. Uh, it's a twofold question. When was the last year Republicans did not hold at least one of the following seats in Maine, governor, congressperson, speaker of the Maine House, or president of the Maine Senate. Well, mm. that must have been a very, very dark year indeed. <laughs> and by way of a hint, there's, there is a little trick in the question. We'll give you the answer next week. And, and, and let me just say, the reason I'm putting this question out is because if Susan Collins loses, this will then become the first year since this year from our question that there will be no Republican in one of those uh, five, uh, one of those six positions, uh, five, six, seven positions. Sorry, <laughs> had to go through them in my head. So anyway, we will get you the answer next week. Okay, that wraps it up. Donald, tell us how we did. And you are fake news. You are fake news. <laughs> All See right, you buddy. Are you going to get back to your fishing now? Yeah. All right, man. Have a good one out there. All right. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye.